really remain conscious of when that inner self-critic is helping you and when it's hurting you. Uh, cause I think there's probably a lot of 16 year olds, 17 year olds, 18 year olds that it's helping you a lot right now. And I don't want it, that to go away, right? It, it has a lot of value. It's really great, but just keep tabs on, is that leaking into your off ball life? You know, what is that looking like when you're judging others? You know, if you have a really aggressive inner self-critic, are you being really critical of other people? Yeah. Um, and then how is that kind of playing out in your in your life. I think that that's just something that took me a little while to, to actually get some perspective on. Welcome to the off ball podcast. My name is Martin reader and I'm a 2012 Olympian performance coach and someone who's interested in giving back to performance culture. The Off-Ball Podcast is about the game within the game. Yes, we're all striving in sport-specific realms. We're all looking to develop our skills. But at a certain point, if you don't have yourself locked down, if you're not fully capable in the time that you are spending outside of practice off the ball, then you're missing out on your full potential. And there's such a humongous focus right now in current culture to be on the grind, but there's so much more space to mastering life and mastering yourself and getting to know what makes you feel good, what drives and motivates you, how to create a pathway around you striving for your best where you are at the center of your own story. So these conversations are meant to inspire, mentor, coach, and shed light through real happenings, through real decisions that I or other athletes, coaches, high performers have made. Today's guest is TJ Sanders. He's the setter for Team Canada Men's indoor volleyball team. He's a 2016 Olympian, but he's also an incredibly introspective human being who's on this amazing path. He had a really challenging injury over the last year, so he's been looking in different places and evolving himself. So we go through his process. We go through his timeline as an athlete, decisions he's made to put himself into the position he's in now, to then looking forward to his professional career in Poland, the next Olympics, and how he is viewing the game, what keeps him motivated, what keeps him excited, and how he's growing as a person as a result of pushing himself as hard as he can through the vessel of sport. So I hope you enjoy this episode with TJ. He's an amazing person. You're going to get a lot from this. Thanks for listening. Here he is. First and foremost, thanks so much for making the time, brother. I really appreciate that. Oh, my pleasure, man. I'm also just like, I'm, I'm, I love the idea of diving into these conversations. Like, especially being a high performer, you know, like when, when that's sort of your life and it's everything you do, it's cool to find, you know, different kind of metrics and different modalities to experience that. Like, I think just having conversations, I get to perform and having these conversations, you know, like seeing where these ideas go and how it can help me and how it can. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for the platform. Full on, man. And it's, it's neat being outside of performance now where oftentimes the things that we use to, level up or to find an advantage, be it 1%, 5%, you know, however we're able to position ourselves ahead of our 
opponents, air quote, we often hold on to those things because that's like our secret and that's, that's how mm-hmm. we're going to be better. And now for me being past it, I mean, you're, you're still in it. So thank you for being so gracious and, and sharing. But I think the conversation of us inviting each other into our processes and our thought patterns and kind of sharpening our swords against each other is, is helping the community as a whole, you know? So this is, uh, yeah, it's an honor. It's a privilege. Thank you so much, man. And, uh, I, I'm just super stoked for young athletes, pro athletes, coaches, parents to, to be able to listen to this and extract whatever information is going to help them wherever they are at in their journey. So let's get it on. Yeah. I also, I just want to touch on that point. I think it's so interesting with, yeah, people holding on to these concepts of secrets or or things like that. Like I, anything that we're going to talk about is something that I've already experienced or kind of gone through. That's not, I never want that to be what is going to create success for me in the future. You know what I mean? Like I'm on to the kind of next piece of the puzzle. I don't want to be looking back and reflecting and like just sitting in that. I want to be pursuing, you know? Oh, that's so good. That speaks a lot to who you are, man. That's, that's awesome. So let's dive in. Let's, let's get some of that info. So oh, yeah. many, many people will know you as TJ Sanders, the athlete. So, uh, I'd love to know who is TJ Sanders, the athlete, TJ Sanders, the athlete, um, volleyball player. I, I'll say though, actually I'll start younger. Um, so when I was growing up, my dad was a, was a phys ed teacher. Um, so I pretty much was born into the gym. I was like, you're very typical gym rat. Um, all my birthday parties were in the gym just with all the equipment out and play every sport you kind of can. Um, and then because of that, I played every sport, uh, and loved them all. I really got into basketball when I was young. My dad was also a basketball coach. Um, so I was always at practice, you know, when he was at the team and I was working on my game as a five-year-old, however you uh, would do that. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I basically just grew up loving sport. It was, it was something that yeah. I, and I don't really know. I don't really know why my, my parents, both of them were, you know, generally athletic and my dad obviously being a phys ed teacher, um, loved sports as well. Uh, but it just, it just kind of clicked. And I, I think it was, you know, as a kid, you got a lot of energy and I, I found a place to put that into. Um, so then, yeah, as I kind of went, I, I started playing competitive sports and a variety of different ones and, um, loved the high performance idea of it. The, you know, getting to grow as a, as an athlete, getting to see results, getting to, you know, play with friends, getting to, even at the time, you know, being younger, it feels good to win. It feels good to be admired. Um, all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I guess where I'm at today is I'm, I'm sort of on the, the opposite end of the spectrum where it's, I'm, I'm kind of just really monitoring what my physical body is able to do. Um, so as an athlete now, it's almost like I, I would say it's almost it's more intuition and concepts and tactics than it is what I can push my body to. Um, so as an athlete now, I mean, being a setter, that's kind of just my role as an athlete, right? So I'm, I'm kind of the guy that's trying to play the chess game all the time and, and figure out any way I can to, to win games. Um, so it's really easy to continue that. Um, but yeah, like, like we're probably going to touch on, um, I'm kind of experiencing that, that battle with my, with my body and, and that's another role that I think pretty much every athlete can relate to. Um, mm-hmm. So as an athlete, uh, I guess I, I didn't really touch on it, but hugely competitive, especially when I was younger. I was like, at times, probably overly competitive. You know, it was, it was very, 
do or die. Um, I wasn't like the nicest guy to play with when I was younger. Um, learned a lot of lessons from that. Uh, and I think now, you know, that's, that's kind of the luxury and then we've already touched on it a bit and we're going to probably a lot, but that, that experiential side of things, you know, getting to mm-hmm. actually understand a little bit of a bigger picture, understand what the real goals are, what the values are. Um, so I guess what my answer would be is that I don't have much of a concise answer for you. Um, <laughs> that's okay. But, man. but my but the Wikipedia page would say indoor men's volleyball setter. There you go. Okay. That's what I'll give you. Well, let's, so let's peel the onion then. So who is, who is TJ Sanders, the person, the human being? Yeah. So in coming to, um, this injury, I would have basically given you the same answer. I, you know, really wrapped up my identity into, you know, whether it be my success or my, um, even just my, my general like ego, um, they were very matched. I, I would sort of say that like TJ was the volleyball player who's going to, you know, win games. Who's going to like outsmart you that I would say that me as a person would be, um, kind of coupled with that. Uh, now it's, now it's really interesting. I think, I think I'm now able to use sport in a very different way because it's now able to, um, re redefine who, who I am. Like now I, I'm the guy that's, you know, trying to help a team win, but it's not me physically doing it, mm-hmm. um, or trying to help, you know, kids develop. Uh, and maybe it's not me, maybe it's not through example or not by example, but it's by, uh, you know, being, being on something like this. Um, and then I think outside of that, uh, I still carry a lot of the same traits. Like I still have, a, a thirst, you know, I think I, I'm always fascinated by new topics. And if there's something I don't really understand that, I want to understand. Um, I'll dive in head first. I'm pretty like binary in that way. I know my girlfriend and my family will attest to that. It's like, you know, if I get excited about something, you won't see me for a month and then I'll come back and <laughs> have all sorts of weird stuff to tell you about. Um, and I think initially that, you know, all that passion and energy went into sport uh, and then eventually volleyball. Uh, mm-hmm. And now it kind of travels uh, in all different areas. And I, and I think that's, like, I'm really excited about that. I think, um, I love what sport has given me. I love, like, I I still plan on having a a lengthy career after, um, the injury and stuff like that. But I also love that I can, I can sort of take those little pieces or that energy and and kind of spread it elsewhere. So good, man. Well, let's touch upon our, or your childhood a little bit more. You, you've referenced a little bit about your, your dad, family sports, but you know, what was your upbringing? Where, where was that? you have a couple of brothers and sisters, like what's, what's your family situation? And then uh, we'll, we'll dive back into sport a little bit. Yeah. So I was born in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Um, yeah, like I said, dad was a uh, phys ed teacher. Mom was a banker. Um, coming up on, Ooh, how long is it? Crazy numbers. Uh, she worked for bank of Montreal started as a teller now is like the some nationwide director. It's a title that's like too important for me to be able to uh, pronounce. Uh, so she's, so I know where the gene for uh, passion and energy and things like that comes from. Um, older sister uh, who started playing volleyball and sort of got me like excited about the game. Um, and yeah, it was basically at like, you know, she went to a club tryout uh, when she would have been in grade eight or something like that. And I would have been in grade six. And I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. And, really, really enjoy that. So yeah, born in Winnipeg. Then when I was about nine, uh, 
my mom got a, a new job down in London, Ontario. Uh, so we moved to London, Ontario. Um, then I basically, yeah, I grew up there. I, I would say like reflecting back on it, I would say I grew up in London. I was born in Winnipeg, but you know, a lot of those years you're just a little bit too young. I didn't really have that many close friends out of Winnipeg. Um, still, still a lot of family. Uh, but I would say I, I grew up kind of in London and that's where, that's where the volleyball really started. That's where, you know, I really started. And you referenced basketball in there. Was that kind of a primary for you? Were you originally set on basketball and then, and then transitioned to volleyball or what uh, was, let's just say your, your team development like? Yeah, I was, uh, 100% into basketball. I was going to go to Duke and I was going to go to the NBA. That was kind of the plan and the path that I had set out. Um, and oh yeah, I loved, I loved basketball. It was definitely kind of my, my first love. I, you know, we obviously had a basketball hoop at our house and obviously my dad being a basketball coach as well. I was constantly doing things, working on things. We even had a, uh, kind of one of those mini nets, but, but like a souped up one, like my dad, uh, basically built it out of wood. He like built a backboard and then we had it in our basement. I got like a little ball and I would, now I kind of look back and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm all right. This, but a few years ago, it was like an embarrassing story to tell, but I would literally like, I remember <laughs> March Madness would go on. I'd have the TV on with March Madness. I'd be down there on my like mini court. I taped out three point lines, three times. And I would just mimic everything that was happening. Amazing. Every, every play down the court, I would then go like mimic it. Um, so that was a lot of my childhood was doing things like that. Um, so yeah, you're a, a very curious, you're a very curious person. I, like I think, I, yeah, I think it was something like that. And then I think, um, I just, something about sport, it just drew me to it. Like the way you can use your body to accomplish these things. And then you're always in, in this kind of competition. I don't know. It just really is a really cool thing that I, that I enjoyed. Um, but definitely my sort of first love was, was basketball. And I would, yeah, I was pretty much ready to wholeheartedly set in that direction. And then the big kind of turning point was in 2007. Um, the national team, the volleyball national team played in London. That was when like Paul Durden, like kind of the end of his career. Uh, mm -hmm. so they came to London, uh, Paul obviously being from London, um, came to London and they were playing, I think they played Finland those times. And it was the first time I'd ever seen international volleyball. Like I'd ever, I think I'd probably watch some like YouTube clips. Obviously back then it was very different than now. You couldn't, you're not really watching stuff streamed or anything like that. Um, but I'd seen some university volleyball, obviously high school volleyball. I thought it was cool. I was playing club volleyball at that time. I was in grade, grade nine going into grade 10 that summer. Um, and I, you know, obviously thought volleyball was cool. I was still kind of headstrong on, on basketball. But then once I saw that, it, w it just seemed completely different than volleyball that I'd ever seen. It was so, so powerful. It was so, there was these little games kind of constantly going on. And actually at the time I was a little sweat wiper. I would run out on the floor and wipe up the sweat. <laughs> um, <laughs> started from the bottom, I guess, something like that. I love um, it though, man. That, but that's what it's about. Like that's, people need to know these things because a part of the journey is how you get connected to the sport and, and how you fall in love with it. Like that is so important. So continue. Sorry to interrupt. No, I, I remember, I just remember seeing that and legitimately being in awe. I was just, wow, that is a completely different game that I've never seen before. These guys are all freaks. You know, I was like, this is unbelievable. Um, and then I remember, yeah, saying to my parents on the way home, uh, like that's what I'm going to do. I'm now going to become a professional volleyball player. I like need to do that. 
Um, and then basically since that, it's actually funny because I remember my, uh, like grade 10 basketball year, not being a great one. Like it really wasn't great. Cause I went from like grade nine, I was so like, I'm going to the NBA and then in grade 10, like, no, nah, it's kind of taking the back burner. So I wasn't, you know, in my driveway all the time doing that all of a sudden now I had a volleyball in my hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember kind of the almost like apathy at basketball practice or the, you know, I wanted to be at volleyball practice and, you know, a year earlier, I couldn't have imagined that or nobody in my life could have imagined that that basketball would kind of be, um, you know, become second fiddle to, to another sport. But yeah, it's, it's, I still find that fascinating that literally just seeing, you know, that high level of volleyball kind of instantly switch my perspective. And then all of a sudden I wasn't downstairs playing basketball, watching March Madness. I was, you know, watching Jiba YouTube videos, hitting the volleyball against my couch and, you know, my mom getting mad at me for doing that. Or I'd always be jumping and trying to touch as high as I could, or I'd be, I'd be literally out in my, it sounds like I didn't have many friends when I was young. I promise I had the normal (laughs) amount of friends. (laughs) Um, but I, I even remember like, yeah, like hitting, uh, I'd be out of my driveway and I, instead of playing basketball, I'd just be hitting, you know, the ball against the ground off the wall, then set it to myself and hitting against the wall and dig it, you know, literally just, just doing that on repeat. And yeah. So I guess clearly, yeah, the, the curiosity and the sort of passion for, for sport was, was there. Yeah. You and I had very similar upbringings. I had the only concrete pad in my neighborhood. I had a basketball hoop outside and then my dad's gigantic workshop was a perfect wall to just pound balls and serves against. And I spent so many days after school solo or just beating up my sister and pepper. Either way, we both put in a lot of keen hours early, which I love. And, you know, what, what was the strength that you had as a child that you then took into your journey into being a pro athlete? And, you know, how did that strength help you along uh, with your goals? I, I actually think that that ties right into that whole piece of the passion and curiosity and all that. Um, because I really was, cause then all of a sudden you, you, you're obviously in your driveway doing those kind of things, but then you put yourself into a competitive environment and my brain was still working the same way. It was still like, okay, how can I develop these techniques to set this certain way or serve this certain way or dig this certain way? Um, and then what tactics are going to be, different than, than other players. Cause also growing up, like I was a small kid, um, wanting to be a basketball player and a volleyball player was not, didn't make much sense being, uh, you know, I think going into grade nine, I was like five, two or something like that. Um, was not a big guy. Uh, and that's actually probably why I became uh setter young was just because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I remember the first time probably would have been in grade seven or something like that, uh, playing club volleyball. Uh, and I came to like the front row in our first tournament and I couldn't get any part of me above the net. Like I couldn't, I would jump as high as I can and nothing would happen. I remember everybody just being like, Oh, that's not how it's supposed to work. Um, so yeah, definitely a, a small kid. And I think that actually, you know, I already had the curiosity, the passion, the sort of excitement to try and figure out how to win. Um, but being small kind of played into that, you know, I couldn't just, I couldn't just be bigger than everybody and jump and hit hard. I couldn't, mm-hmm. uh, you know, do these kind of other things that a lot of guys that I was playing with or against could, Uh, so I had to kind of use my brain to try and figure out how to win. Uh, and I think that because I was so passionate and curious, that kind of fueled, um, you know, the sort of cognitive processes that had to happen for me to be able to develop, um, 
whether it be technically or tactically to, to win games. And I think that that has continued to carry on, uh, you know, into my post-secondary career, into my international career. It's, it's definitely my, my sort of biggest advantage was trying to think about the game, uh, whether it be in different ways or perfecting old ways. Um, but yeah, I would say that that, and I don't know where, I, I think I've thought a lot or sorry, I have thought a lot about where that comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, like where that sort of passion piece comes from or why it's, why it's a strength. I do think that being small had something to do with it. Like I really wanted to be, let's say the best basketball player in the city or the best volleyball player in the city. And because I was smaller, I would have to work harder or I'd have to work differently. Um, and I was always excited about that. It was never like whenever we'd be working hard, um, I was excited about that. I, I really enjoyed, you know, when I'm out in my driveway for five hours, it was because I loved it. It wasn't because somebody was forcing me to, it wasn't because, you know, I felt it was necessary. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. Even like a small example was, I don't know if you remember back in the day, but they had those like kind of volleyballs that were for the pool. They were kind of like sponge like. Yep. So I had, obviously I had several of those, but had one of those and I'd always go up to my room and same thing. I'd have like, you know, this team versus this team and I'd hit it against the wall, dig it, set, hit it against the wall kind of thing. And one day my neighbors uh, are talking to my dad and they're like, Hey, do you hear this sort of like banging or like cracking? It, it, it's like every night around like eight o'clock, there's like this banging. Are you hearing this? And my dad's like, Oh no. Like I, shoot, I don't really know what, uh, what's going on yet. And then, and then he pieces it all together that every night pretty much like, you know, I'd come home from school or I'd, you know, go to volleyball practice, go to basketball practice, go to soccer practice, play golf, whatever, come home, have dinner. Then after dinner, I'd go upstairs and play pepper with myself against the wall. And <laughs> the neighbors, like, I guess are having to deal with the, the racket. So we had to put a time limit on that, but literally it was like, I, I found true enjoyment to that. And it really did, you know, kind of fulfill me as a, as a kid. Um, hmm. so I would say, yeah, definitely my strength being, you know, the excitement, uh, for sport. And then that kind of fuels, trying to figure out how to be better than everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And then flipping that onto its head, you know, weaknesses play a, a big part in that. Like what, what do you think was a weakness of yours early on and how did that impact you and how have you turned that weakness into a strength now or how have you neutralized it? Yeah, I would say a pretty big one because of that, uh, I guess kind of like personality trait or, or whatever you would call it. Um, was at a lot of points I would become very narrow minded. You know, if, if I'm trying to figure out how to be the best player in the world, sometimes other people telling me or helping me, I would think, no, no, I got this under control. You know, it's like, you're in grade eight. I don't think you really do have it under control. Um, <laughs> we love to believe it, man. When we're at that yeah, age, exactly. we love to believe it. hundred percent, hundred percent. So I would definitely say, um, that got in my way. And then I would say kind of the, the progression of that would almost be the play of my ego. Um, and not really in the sense, like I, I was never crazy arrogant or, or cocky or anything like that, but I definitely was, um, sort of thinking that I knew what was what, and that I, um, you know, would be the one that should tell everybody else what to do and, and would be able to figure out myself and tell the coach what to do and all that kind of stuff. And I think in doing that, I missed a lot of potential 
or a lot of potentially mm. valuable information. Um, and even just skills, like obviously in, especially in a sport like volleyball, it's so relative, uh, with the other players in the court. Like, you know, it's such a relationship game, uh, that, you know, if you're kind of bossing people around it, it can sometimes go, go sour. Um, so I would say for sure being like a little bit narrow minded when I was younger, turning that into like a little bit, maybe bossy or, or even that kind of, you know, if, if my, I was unable to kind of step back and look at the big picture, you know? Mm-hmm. So my goal was best player in the world. When you're playing high school volleyball, maybe not everybody else's goal is to be the best volleyball player in the world. And that's totally cool. Like I, I think at the time though, I didn't think that was cool. I thought we all should have that kind of, mm-hmm. uh, kind of energy or emotion or whatever. Um, so yeah, I would say that that, that caused me to miss out on a lot of opportunities. And then I would say now, you know, that's, that's the kind of cool thing is getting to play in a lot of different countries, um, you know, in a lot of different places with a lot of different coaches, um, you know, just by going through and, and realizing how that's hurt me, you know, realizing how that maybe I've missed out on those opportunities. Now I get to kind of take from this massive chunk of well or of knowledge out there. Um, and just, yeah, I get to turn it into what I would define as my game. I don't have to kind of be pushing what I think on everybody. I can just sit back and, mm-hmm. and kind of experience what everybody has to offer and then go mold that into my own, uh, my own way of playing what would be a step that you took in reflection now to transition into being more open and listening more and paying more attention? I think it was kind of the piece of understanding that, especially when I got to more higher levels, like I think when, when you're in like a high school environment or something like that, it is valid that maybe people aren't putting in the hours you're putting in or they're not as, you know, dedicated and stuff like that. And that's okay. Like I think everybody, there's a, there should be a spectrum there. Uh, but then once I got to kind of higher performance, it was really understanding that everybody is there with the same goal. Everybody is trying to become the best in the world. Everybody is pursuing these different things. And because they've had a different upbringing, because they play a different position, because they you know, who knows what, have different strengths than me, like physical strengths or something like that. Um, that means that they will have different perspectives than you. And because of that, I can use that. That can be something that will lift my game up. Um, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure really, like, I think it was a very gradual shift in understanding that, but, um, yeah, I just basically started to understand that there is a lot to tap into there as opposed to kind of keeping it at arm's length, thinking that I can figure it out on my own. Um, and if I really do want to quote unquote, like figure it out on my own, that it is still necessary to then tap into what everybody else has to offer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Well, when you make it about a game of you being right, then, then other people are wrong and you shut yourself off from that information. So I love how, you know, now you're a, a, a culmination of all the experiences that you've had, the coaches you've worked with, the players that you've played with plus all the readings that you're doing off the court. So there's a lot there, uh, which I can't wait to dive into a little bit later in, in the podcast. But let's shift to a storyline where you have a unique history where you went and played university and then you made some choices and, and then went and played for the national team uh, or, or went to the national team training center. And then now you're on the national team. 
I know that's a, a fairly long timeline, but would you be able to paint a bit of a picture of that journey and some of the pivotal, pivotal choices that you've made to be able to get to where you are or put yourself up into a position uh, to be on the team that ultimately qualified for and competed in the 2016 Olympics? Yeah, so how that kind of started was I, yeah, I'll kind of walk through the actual logistics of the whole thing. It was So right out of high school, I ended up going to the University of Manitoba. Um, pretty incredible history there, especially from like way back in the day, they had won a lot of national championships, stuff like that. Um, then I ended up going to McMaster, uh, because of that sort of transition, I had to sit out a year. So I redshirted for a year then I played a year at McMaster and then I ended up going to the, um, full-time training center in, in Gatineau with the, with the national team. Um, so in choosing to go to Manitoba, I definitely right out of the gates was, you know, I want to go to the Canada West. Like I, that was sort of where the strongest volleyball is being played. You know, you look at nationals, like the top four teams pretty much every year, especially when, um, when I was that age, obviously now it's kind of has changed and things like that. But back mm-hmm. then it was like very heavy, uh, can West. And then, you know, you look at the national team and there was a ton of guys, uh, from out West. So it was like, okay, the obvious choice, let's, let's go West somewhere. Um, shows university of Manitoba. There's a, you know, a bunch of junior national team guys on it. Um, I was born in Winnipeg. There's like, like that little connection. Um, so yeah, basically I went out there, uh, and it was all like, okay. I think again, like it's important to realize that back then it literally, my goal was to be the best volleyball player in the world. That was like kind of the only thing that was strumming in the back of my mind. Um, so when I went there and I didn't really, I felt like, Hey, there's a lot of good players. There's a lot of good potential. Things are kind of happening, but it's not going at the rate that I want it to go at. Um, mm-hmm. and obviously I was kind of like, I've touched on a little bit stubborn with that and things like that. I was just like, okay, what are other options? Um, like, what is that? What does that look like? What can I do? Um, and I, I saw that McMaster was, was doing quite well. I had kind of talked to them before it was, it was like, you know, it was close to home, that sort of stuff. Uh, and I just, figured, you know, I don't know if me staying at Manitoba is going to equal me becoming the best volleyball player in the world. Um, I mean, I guess at that point I was naive enough to believe myself, uh, (laughs) in, in understanding that, but I, yeah, something like a little bit in my gut, it just didn't feel like I was, you know, progressing like I should be. Um, plus other factors, you know, I was also first time away from home really. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think if, if the volleyball was really going strong and I really noticed all these, this growth and this excitement around it, then I would be completely fine wherever I went. Like I could go anywhere and that I could go to Antarctica. Volleyball is going well. That's great. Um, but it wasn't really at a level that I was excited about. Mm-hmm. So I go to McMaster, I red shirt. Um, oh, and I guess I should touch on the fact of, you know, leaving a university. Yes. It was, that was sort of a, it was a weird thing because a it's like seems very taboo to do. Um, you know, you're supposed to be committed or you're supposed to be uh, loyal and things like that. Plus then, I mean, I think even we've talked about this back in the day, but you know, my parents then sort of being like, Oh, whoa, like why, why would you leave a university and go to another one? You know, are you kind of like scapegoating? Are you, are you doing stuff like that? Um, and I really, and that, that's sort of where I kind of had to do some, some kind of soul searching around that, you know, in my gut, do I feel like I'm just uncomfortable and trying to get away from something or do I really feel like 
it's in my best interest with mm-hmm. my values and goals in mind to make a change. Uh, and I think that that's really tough, especially, you know, I was 17, 18, um, to try and make a decision, uh, around that. Now I'm obviously very thankful that I did. I'm very thankful that I, that I had the confidence in myself that I sort of believe that my gut was right and I, I should follow it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went to, uh, McMaster kind of, as I said, red shirted, um, then played a year, uh, and the year, like, again, I think my stubbornness got the best of me. I think at this point I had played a couple of years of the national team and, and that same mentality of, Oh, I think I know what is right. Uh, was pretty headstrong in me. And I, yeah, I kind of just assumed that I knew everything about volleyball. Um, and kind and probably, and like I can say this now reflecting on it. I mean, again, those are some opportunities missed, right? I think for sure mm-hmm. I've had a, a fortunate career. Um, but even like life lessons or, um, you know, anything along those lines, I'm sure, I'm sure I missed out on on some stuff there, but I, again, just felt like objective being best player in the world. Um, I don't think that at the time CIS volleyball is going to get me there. Mm -hmm. Um, especially after playing on the junior national team. And I mean, that was a big eye opening experience as well, because then we're playing teams where every guy is playing professionally. Um, and then they just come and they can play like men. We were still very much playing like boys at, at U 21 and they were playing like men because they're forced to play against men all the time. And I don't mean physically, I mean like, you know, the way they think, the way they manage, the way they, uh, all that sort of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that really opened my eyes to what was missing. And I just, I just had the sense that the CIS wasn't ever going to be able to give me that. Um, and I mean, ultimately, I don't know if we should just be looking at, uh, you know, organizations like that just to take, but it just wasn't going to give me, uh, what I kind of needed at that time. And I remember having a conversation with the national team and just sort of laying that out to them. And we ended up deciding that the FTC was, was going to be a good opportunity. Um, and then, yeah, went and started training full time, uh, which is also kind of another mind twist. Cause then all of a sudden you're not playing. Uh, so for pretty much like eight months, you're, I mean, we did a trip to France in there. Um, but you're pretty much just training five days a week. Uh, and it's all about just development. You're basically breaking everything down and, and trying to rebuild and, and find some strengths, make those stronger, find some weaknesses, build on those. Um, it, which is a really useful tool. I think at the time it, I like desperately needed that. Um, so I'm very thankful that I got, that I got the eight months and that sort of fulfilled that, okay, I want to be the best player in the world. Now I get eight months to just really hunker down and like work on that. Like go to work and develop. Um, so an FTC happened. Um, then I ended up signing a contract in the Netherlands right after that. And then joining the, uh, I think I actually know Then the next summer I joined the, was it the next summer I joined the ATM? I'm actually not sure. Somewhere in that a long <laughs> time ago. I'm getting old, Martin. I'm getting <laughs> old. Uh, sometime in that, yeah, I ended up, ended up doing that. Because I did a FISU year, but I think that might have been right like the summer after FTC. Um, so it might have been then the next season I, I joined the A-team. Well, the, there's something that I, I really want to touch upon in that story. And I, I love it because you said the word gut multiple times. And it's really fascinating. And in no way, shape, or form is this conversation 
pointing finger at or the Canadian system or being derogatory towards it. Like you literally had a calling where you want to be the best athlete in the world. You had that vision for yourself and you were able to assess the environment that you're in and, and you deduce that it wasn't going to get you there. So that was your choice. And, you know, now all of a sudden we see athletes that are in their late teens getting pro um, I wanted to say scholarships, but pro contracts overseas, like the Canadian system all of a sudden went from the CIS being how we developed our pro volleyball players and, and developed our national team to now all of a sudden we've almost skipped, you know, five or 10 years and it's happening earlier, which is super fascinating. And you were at the start of that, I'd say. What was something that you really lent on to listen to your gut or to see? Because being able to listen to yourself when there's that much pressure and this is how we've always done it mentality. I mean, you're breaking boundaries. You're doing something that people will look at and be like, that's wrong. Or what the heck is he doing and questioning it? So you need to be really strong for yourself. Is there any way that you can describe how you listen to your gut and, and went for it? Right. Yeah. I, it's very true. Like definitely around that time, not many people, people were doing that. Um, it was like very typical. You go to your school, you play five years, maybe you get a crack at the national team. You know, it's like if you win a couple of national championships in your latter years, you've got a good shot. Um, but I would, I would just say, I think, I think it was just the authenticity of wanting to be the best in the world. Like it, it was very much how I, I felt that I wanted that. And I think, you know, at that time I was looking at the Canadian system. We were 20 something in the world. That's not the best in the world. Like something has to change. Something has to be different um, than how this kind of plays out. Uh, and I also, it, it just seemed very logical. You then look at kind of like what I was mentioning earlier, you look at these other European teams and they're having so much success or Brazil or things like that. They're having so much success. Um, and they all have professional leagues. Like there's something there's something there. I, I shouldn't ignore that. I think it was kind of easy for me to recognize what people were saying or maybe opinions on that as just noise because it was very authentic. I, mm -hmm. I really did want to be in the best in the world. I could realize that, you know, Canada wasn't the best in the world right now um, at, the, at that time. And I mean, we still aren't, but <laughs> at that time. <laughs> Hey, we're moving. We're, we're closer than yeah. we were before my friend. Yeah, exactly. But I, th I think that was it. It was, you know, there was no real argument that somebody could bring to me that I would be swayed on. Oh, okay. I should stay for five years. It was, no, these are like years that I need to be developing and, uh, in a different way. I think, I think it was that I, I, I really don't know what else kind of gave me the, let's call it like courage to sort of step out from that other than the fact that I, that I truly believed in, in something different have, having to happen and that I really wanted to become, you know, the best in the world that I wasn't, I didn't want to just go through the pattern of yeah. what was kind of typical. Um, I mean, if it was typical to go do five years of university and then you join the national team, and the national team is number one in the world, or like, let's look at the U S a lot of guys go through the schooling system there through the NCAA and U S is two in the world. That's fair. I think that maybe they've got something a little, obviously the pool of athletes is crazy different. They're 
mm-hmm. money that's there is crazy different. But I just mean, I think it would be reasonable, um, to assess that and go, oh, okay, this is a successful strategy. When I think in our kind of model, um, it was just easy, uh, to deduce that. I don't think this will get me to my end goals and I need to do something about that. I need to sort of take responsibility for that. Yeah. I love it. And a part of you going through that process and to be your best, what did you have to let go of in order for you to mature during that time? What was something that, you know, most of us, we fight for our limitations. Well, of course you can hold on to them if you want to, but it's hard letting go sometimes because, you know, to bring it back to the right or wrong point, that, that means you were wrong at some point. So what was something that for you to level up that you had to let go of? I think, I think that's kind of it right there is that I'm, that I'm not always right, that I don't know everything about volleyball and that I can't, you know, figure everything out. And I think that lesson I learned when I, you know, joined the national team and we would go and play teams and I'd be running offenses and I could assess that things were not going well. You know, I had to learn by setting into blockers. <laughs> I had to learn by, you know, not running an offense that is efficient or I had to learn by um, those sorts of things. And then I think again, the authenticity of wanting to be the best in the world, the fact that I truly believe that it meant, okay, now I need to change my thinking. Like these are now not equaling the outcome that I want. So I need to, something needs to change. Um, I think that that's a pretty good way to assess like sort of a a physical layout of how you can reach high performance. Um, but I also think even in that mindset, it's still a little bit closed off. Hmm. Um, and I just don't think I had the experience yet that I couldn't sit on that experience. I think now, um, I think just being able to look at the amount of matches that I've played, um, the amount of sets that I've done, there's a difference in that. And I don't know if you can get to understanding that without the experience. So I think to kind of make that a little bit more polished, if you go and fail, it is easy then to assess your limitations, Mm -hmm. right? So some of the things that I had to let go of was, yeah, I'm not always right. Um, even like physically, maybe I do need to put a little bit more energy into being a little bit quicker because I'm not the biggest guy. Maybe I need to do, you know, take control of my health a little bit more because I want to have a long career. Maybe I need to, um, you know, focus on those little things like whether it be sleep or whatever kind of tangent you want to go into. It, it started to become more of a lifestyle. Um, and then it started to become, yeah, I, I really wanted to, it was almost, yeah, it got to the point where limitations were exciting you know, you find this limitations. It's like, Oh sweet. Now I have this opportunity to let go of something and level up. Um, and then there was definitely limitations in like maybe offensive patterns I'd be running or types of serves I'd be doing. And it's sort of just, that became, you'd start toying around with that. Um, and you get a little creative and then you are able to kind of find the positives in those. Amazing. Well, it's often the conversation that kind of gets glazed over is, everyone's trying to do more and trying to learn more, but we do also need to let go of things in order Mm. to improve. And so thanks so much for sharing. And, you know, for the, for the next generation that's, that's listening. Um, There's a lot of great stories here of you thinking that you knew everything and then the maturity hits of like, Holy smokes, I don't necessarily know everything. And that, that I think is probably where you, evolved yourself the most, but you certainly need to be naive at the beginning 
<laughs> you have to be hard headed. You have to stand up for yourself. And I'm sure that time when you flip that switch happens at a different point for everybody. But thanks so much for sharing that, man. And let's move into the, the 2016 journey, which was phenomenal. Um, I'd love for you to just paint a picture of what that bid was like for, for you guys and the team, a little bit of the effort and energy that, that was put into it. And uh, I guess that classic video that went viral in Canada of you guys celebrating in the, in the hotel room and maybe just touch upon what, uh, what that journey was to qualifying for 2016. Oh yeah. Um, first action I touched just because you made mm. such a good point there. I want to touch on, um, just the idea of, you know, working hard. I think that was another thing that I, that I kind of had to let go of was there's a difference. There's, there's, some qualitative value to hard work. You know, yes. if you're just going out and getting as many reps, as many of whatever you can, and you're just sweating and breaking yourself down, but you're not seeing, um, maybe results, maybe you don't have the proper feedback. Maybe you're not present or conscious as you're getting these reps, um, that that's not valuable. Uh, I think that that was something that I ended up truly like figuring out and really believing that, the quality of your work will always outweigh quantity or what other people perceive as hard work. I think there's a lot to be done. And I mean, like I said earlier, I, one of my sort of strengths and personas is that I think a lot. It's more like uh, intellectual about the game of volleyball as opposed to physically jumping the highest and hitting the hardest. Um, mm -hmm. But I think there just needs to be something said about the quality of your work um, and the work doesn't have to be, you know, you getting setting reps. I think for me, especially now it's different now because I'm older and there, there's limitations into reps I can do and things like that. But it was always more important, even early on that I would get 10 really quality reps versus just get 500 setting reps to position four. you know, like right. if I can be really conscious, if I can visualize players, if I can visualize tempos, if I can do things like that, that will always be more important um, than just kind of going numb and going through, through reps, especially in a game like volleyball. It's too tactile. It's not a, you know, you're not a, I don't know what you could relate it to, but you're not a sprinter, right? Who's just going running as fast as you can. You need this, this different kind of depth to your, to your training that I think I just is important and, and helped me a lot in my development kind of understanding. Cause there, there's a little bit of, I don't know if shame's the right word, but I remember believing that even when I was kind of a little bit younger and then the guy that's always working hardest would be praised, you know? So I remember thinking, Oh, I want to be the guy that's working the hardest, right? Cause they're getting praised for that. Mm -hmm. Little did, you know, the big picture know that, yeah, maybe I'm at home watching video. Maybe I'm, you know, trying out, maybe I'm taking more risk in practice, doing things like that. Those are going to equate to more value and just sort of that consistent numb work. Um, so I just thought that that was a really great point that, that you brought up there. Well, when, when did that show up in your life? When did that thought come up and maybe what, was there a moment that that came up? Well, I always kind of intuitively knew it, you know, like, like it was something that, and even it's, it's funny now, like reflecting back on a lot of my developing years, it's all just my kind of perception of what happened, right? Like, I mean, in the moment I wasn't thinking, Oh, wow. I'm really not concerned about the quality of my work. I'm concerned about the quantity. It was just, wow. I'd rather get 
five good serves than just break my back serving 500 times, you know, unless it's literally, I need that. So it's just evaluating, um, what I sort of needed. So I would say that it kind of periodically showed up throughout, you know, even in, in high school and club days, uh, in university okay. for sure. But up until that point, I had never really been under the impact of a ton of volume. So then once I reached kind of, you know, junior national team or FTC or stuff like that, then that's where volume really came in into play. Like I would be, you know, setting like a thousand balls of practice. I'd be setting in my fingers and start bleeding and stuff like that. Um, but then it's my perception of work was then, okay, I got to keep going until my fingers bleed. Not like, Oh, what am I actually trying to get out of this? Right. What mm -hmm. am I trying to achieve? Where, where am I trying to go with these reps? And I think it's really important to keep that kind of end goal, what your aim is in mind, because if it's, if your goal is to get a really good serve to five down, and you go serve five balls and each one of them is perfect to five. You maybe don't have to go serve 500 more balls. You know, if you're confident that what you did is, is like equals what you were looking to do that day. Um, versus, you know, okay, I served five good balls to five and then I served 50 more balls and they were all over the place and I got fatigued and I didn't deal. Again, there will be times where that was like a cool different, uh, kind of distinguishing factor as well was then there's times where you're just putting in volume. You know, there will be the time where I'm setting a hundred balls, 500 balls, whatever, just to get tired and then have to think under distress, right? Totally. Just to get where my hands hurt and then get the muscle strength. Like, but to understand that those are different workloads, yeah. you know, and to play with those a little bit more. To allow a skill to show up when you're fresh, that, that's a skill. And equally, there's a skill in having a skill show up when you're fatigued and both have to be trained for sure. But when you are subject to the grind or you position it, I need to be on the grind, which is very much current society, social media, culture, being on the grind, you kind of lose sight of that qualitative or quality conversation. And it just becomes about, about quantity. So let's love that point, man. Thanks so much for making that. Let's pull it back to that 2016, maybe a tight little yeah. nugget of, of what that journey was. And uh, then, then we can move into the 2016 Olympics. Oh yeah. So our first kind of shot was we were playing, uh, at a Norseca event in, in January of 20, oh no, that would have been, yeah, 2016 then. And leading up to that actually. So for right before that, I was, I had signed a contract to play in Montenegro, uh, just for champions league. So I would only have played like, you know, four months kind of thing just for champions league. And then I was going to look for something else after, but a couple days before, um, I flew out team or actually my agent calls me, uh, tells me that the, president of the club is, has been arrested. Uh, all their assets have been <laughs> all their assets have been frozen. Um, and that basically I can go, but they can't pay me. Um, so I mean, it was like two days out from when I was supposed to leave. And I was like, well, that's not gonna, that's not gonna cut it. Like, I mean, I, I don't know, no, I don't know anybody from the team. I don't know the management. Um, and their president was just arrested. So there were some trust issues, uh, there. <laughs> no so I figured, doubt. I figured, Right. So I figured, okay, it's probably best I don't go. And then that sort of turned into me not having a club for a while. Cause obviously all the, all the spots are filled up. So I ended up going to, uh, Arcas in Turkey for, for about a month, uh, and was just training, uh, which was quite difficult. And I guess, and looking back like a, a bigger pothole than I kind of realized because I, I was, I wasn't having any of that match experience, uh, going into obviously a big tournament, the Olympic qualifier. So then we go into January. Uh, I haven't really played for the last, you know, I don't know what it would be four or five months. 
um, going to January where, you know, we beat Mexico, we beat the kind of lower ish teams. And then we come to Cuba in the finals. We played them a ton lately. I didn't, I don't remember losing to them, you know, two years prior to this, we'd probably played them eight times or something like that. Maybe we went eight and a nine times or something. Um, go into that game. Uh, there was a little like something, I don't know if the game before us ended up going five. We thought it was going to go three. We're like ready pretty early. So there's this long stretch of time where it was in slow motion. You know, everything's kind of going a little bit loopy. Everybody's just waiting. There's so much anxiety and so much excitement, but so many nerves, but we're all kind of at the point in our, I guess, like athletic journey where we're trying to just shut those out. You know, we, we didn't have the coping skills yet to, to just kind of let those fly and run with it. But then we go into Cuba and I swear it was the fastest game that I've ever played. It was three, nothing for Cuba. And I just like blinked and the game was over. And they, I swear every serve that they did was an ace. I don't know. I don't know what even know what happened. Um, <laughs> but it was not a great game from our end. Um, and they played, they played like really well. Um, but right in that moment, you know, all of us were kind of sitting there going, okay, sweet. We're playing Cuba to go to the Olympics. We beat them so many times. We're the more experienced team. We're the better team. Um, and then to just kind of get slapped in the face like that was, wasn't really that great. Um, and then right after that is when we, uh, first hired our psychology, our team psychologist and really started to look into, you know, why we're losing these big games. I mean, same thing happened in Pan Am games. Uh, we, we'd kind of always been that team that were last chance Olympic qualifier, uh, which is a way more difficult tournament. It's like a bit of a grind. Um, we play like Poland the first day. Uh, we ended up losing to them. We play Iran. We ended up like losing super close to them. Uh, but we're playing really good volleyball. Like we got to a point where Poland was playing some of the best volleyball. Iran was playing really well. And we're starting to like, you know, we're finding our groove a little bit. And at that point we didn't have to beat those teams. Um, so then anyway, yeah, so we go and we beat, we basically go on, on to, uh, to beat all the teams we need to beat. We beat Japan, we beat China, we beat uh, Australia. Um, and then, yeah, that sort of video, how that was, was we beat all those teams, but what had to happen was Poland had to beat Australia, uh, for, to make sure that Australia didn't have a chance of catching us. Um, so we're watching that game and I, I remember I was in, I was in a room with Blair Ban and, and Dan Lewis, both of our liberos at the time. And Dan Lewis couldn't watch. He was just sitting at the desk, like reading through old emails or something and he couldn't watch. And then he would come over for a point and then like run back to his desk. Cause he was just too, too paranoid of what was going to happen. <laughs> um, but then basically, so that video is we're all in our different hotel rooms, um, watching it. I think it was one of the things where we didn't all want to be together cause there was too much on the line. We wanted like a little bit of our own, you know, bubble. Yeah. <clears throat> but I remember, I remember, watching Poland win that last point. I go out to the hallway because obviously I'm like anticipating that this is going to be this big thing. I run out to the hallway and nobody's there yet. But I was sort of on one end of the hallway and my, my room was on the other end. So I just started like kind of walk, run down to my room. And then everybody just starts flooding out of their rooms. You know, it's just like everybody slowly starts flooding out. Um, and then it just went into obviously like mayhem. Uh, I was, yeah, turned pretty chaotic, pretty quick, realizing that, you know, we kind of redeemed ourselves after, after blowing that one to Cuba and then putting like up a pretty good performance, uh, in Japan there and then qualifying and we're all going nuts, obviously realizing this sort of thing because, and at the time I, I really didn't have, well, okay. In that moment I had 
Olympics on my radar, but first joining the national team, um, I guess it seemed like such a, it seemed a little bit like off into the distance, the Olympics, you know, it seemed like a big, like there's only 12 teams that make it only a couple from each region. Uh, and when I first joined the team, we were 20 some in the world. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really think that it was that possible early on. So then for all that to kind of come into fruition was, was pretty crazy. We're all like just on cloud nine for, for a little while there. So that video shows, shows a lot of it. I think that, that goes, video was hype, man. I, the whole it was just like just that for nuts. a week, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Well, can you talk to that team? What was the vibe and the dynamic of that team? And the goal here isn't necessarily to, to recount the 2016 Olympics. We can save that for another conversation, but you know, what, what was the vibe of that team? What, what was the learning that you came away from that Olympics um, with just cause it, it was a special experience for, for you guys, but for the rest of Canada as well, cause we hadn't had a showing uh, in indoors at the Olympics for a long time. And you guys played your hearts out and, and, did an amazing job. I, do you guys, was it fifth that you guys got in that yeah. games? Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, was mind blowing. You guys pulled it together. So can you just let us into the dynamic of that team, kind of the ethos of that team and, and maybe a learning now looking back, stepping away from the 2016 games? Yeah. I would say the biggest um, thing that I can take away from that, that, seemed to really kind of flood through all the guys and, and the community was, was really the belief uh, in that these things were kind of possible and that we could become a top 10 team in the world, that we could become, you know, a team that <clears throat> we were in this sort of pool of death and we ended up finishing second in the, in the pool of death to move on on a pool play at the Olympics. I think it was really, um, yeah, like I, I would say before that, you know, years leading up to that. I don't know if at that moment I could have told you that in my core being in a big game like that, that I would believe that we would win or I would believe that we would beat the U S three zero our opening game. Mm-hmm. Um, but then as we got closer to it, as it was sort of happening, there was that, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it, but there was just really a, a deep belief that we could beat any team in the world. Um, and I think that that, really kind of caused a ripple effect into our play, you know, it built that confidence. Um, it allowed us to communicate differently. It allowed us to, you know, deal with deficit better. Um, mm-hmm. it allowed us to deal with the nerves, the anxiety, uh, better. We also had <clears throat> kind of, as I, as I touched on, we had Kyle, our, our, uh, psychologist was, was with us there. So he was able to kind of give us some, some strategies and, and things to deal with all of that. Um, so I would say like coming out of that, it was literally the belief because then when the games were over, it was like, okay, we can beat anybody. We now need to start metal hunting and we need to start, you know, striving for that one. Like we need podium finishes from now on, mm-hmm. um, because there was a lot of growth happening there. And I think it was very obvious that it wasn't going to stop. Um, and I think there's something to be said. Yeah. About that kind of even we were kind of mentioning earlier that sort of like experiential confidence. Like I think we all of a sudden knew, Oh, okay, we can do this. There's that sort of block in your mind. If you've never done it, if you always come, you know, 11th at tournaments, if you're always coming this, and then there's those teams that are always meddling for sure. There might be some, some other kind of value. Maybe their technique is better. They're more physical or whatever. Um, but there was a lot of, we, we sort of had a team that on paper should be performing or could had the potential to perform um, 
at quite a high level. And, and then all of a sudden we started believing that we could. Well, you guys were consistent. You guys had some unbelievable games and played consistently on the biggest platform that only happens once every four years. Uh, so it, it was pretty amazing to see. And now looking back, was there a pivotal learning that you stepped away from the games with? Or was there something that happened that allowed you to evolve into who you are right now based on that experience? I, th- I think that's, that, that was kind of it. It was like, okay, I, I knew that me as a player, me as a person, I was not at, you know, my peak, right? I, I wasn't at like, oh, this is the best I'm ever going to be. It was like, things are still going up. We're all still growing as a nation. We're still growing as volleyball players. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I left it really excited with, okay, where are we going to go? Where are we going to take this? Like this very much seems like the beginning um, of our sort of story. It did not seem like, okay, we've now had our fun and then we're going to kind of trickle down into, it was, it was very much, at least for me as a player and sort of in my, in my heart there was, okay, we, we've just started. Um, yeah. And I think, I think that's actually a tough kind of hump to get over. You know, if we, if we wouldn't have made the Olympics, that would have been very difficult to believe that we could, we should be on the podium of most tournaments. If we hadn't beat the U S if we hadn't beaten Italy um, and made it out of our pool, it would be tough to believe that, that we can do that consistently. Um, so in doing that and just giving ourselves opportunities and then, you know, following through kind of allowing ourselves to reach close to our potential and those opportunities, I then believe in this system is, is going to be able to do it. And that, and I think that there are obviously a lot of, you know, tactical things we learned, obviously those, those sorts of things, but that, that sort of confidence is, is something that now sits with all the guys that are on that team. Yeah. And, and you know what, it's, it's steeped through the culture. There's younger guys now that are international quality players, but they're hopefully entering you just referenced the system with that confidence because it's normal. It's now what's expected. It's been done before. It's not this impossible feat. So is there a culture that lives within the the men's national team right now? Like what's the vibe? Is there a style of play that you guys have and own that are executing and flexing on the world stage? Yeah, I, I, I think just touching on that point of, you know, players now coming into the system and and how it looks different. Like when I was first joining the team, it was like extremely difficult for me to find a, a job, basically a contract. Uh, and you know, there was still a few guys on the A team who were unable to get jobs. Now we've got guys like anybody, A, B, C, junior, all the teams are able to get contracts. And it's like, phenomenal. And I think we always were undervalued internationally. I think we always had like quality players. Um, but because we weren't really, you know, we weren't performing at the Olympics in that way. We weren't going into world championships and finishing that well, like even so a couple of years earlier in 2014, we finished seventh at world championships. Um, we were sort of building this momentum into being a little bit more of a recognizable country. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think now, and that's huge in, kind of creating foundation for well, what the future is going to look like, but also then that confidence piece, you know, now we've got so many guys in the best leagues. We've got guys coming out of university, going to great leagues. We've got, and they're all performing really well. It's, it's really exciting about uh, to see where, where it's going to kind of go from here. But to touch on that, um, what our kind of 
style was and, and, you know, what kind of brings us all together was, I think it was actually really interesting because after the Olympics, um, then we obviously had like a coaching change. We had a big, like, you know, it's the end of a cycle, a bunch of new guys come in and we sort of adopted this kind of new age style of play. I think back in the day, especially when Glenn started, it was very much, okay, we need to develop our skills. We need to understand high level volleyball better. Um, and we need to catch up. That was sort of what, what his kind of philosophy was, was, you know, if you go do five years and you come out and you're 22, 23, um, you need to then catch up to the European players. Okay. Um, so that was kind of how he started with, okay, we need more high level international matches. We need more, um, you know, competition all the time. We need a full-time center. That was his sort of, those are the building blocks that he was, that he was building. And that led up to the 2016 Olympics. So then all of a sudden it like, we have a great showing, um, volleyball numbers, uh, kind of go up in Canada. We start getting better contracts. We get that confidence. So then when 2017 comes, it's sort of more of a new age mentality. It's, we now know we can perform at that level. So now we have to start getting creative. It's like all of a sudden we then got to a point of mastery Mm -hmm. and then we're starting to be creative within that mastery. You know, at that point leading up to 2016, even like me individually, I think it kind of follows my, my pattern quite well as I was still very much working on technique. I was working on understanding offensive systems and tactics. I was working on, you know, a lot of my mental game and understanding how to, how to do those things. Now it's a lot more creative. It's okay. What let's toy with things, see how this works because I can lean back on the fact that I have that confidence. I have the technique, I have the tactics I have, you know, so it's a little bit of a, a different look. And then I think, you know, then it comes out, we go to world league and we end up getting a bronze medal. And I think that that was a huge factor of that. It was this new age, um, almost like enjoy, like enjoyment's kind of a, it's unfulfilling word to describe it, but it was like this excitement, you know, like this sort of new age. Okay. Now we know we can be here. Let's start seeing what we can do at this, this stage. Um, and then obviously, yeah, getting the bronze medal at world league, we kind of pr- proved that again. And, um, yeah, it was, I, that transition was something that was like really fascinating for me. And I think also because it, as I mentioned, it kind of tied along nicely with my own kind of progression because then all of a sudden now I could look at the game with, with this sort of, with sort of fresh eyes, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't trying to catch up anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. I'd caught up. I was with everybody else. Now I'm just trying to win. And I'm trying yeah. to figure out new ways to win. It sounds like you guys had felt like you closed the deficit and you belonged at that level. And once you feel like you belong, that opens up the safety, which then allows for curiosity and, and, and creativity and thinking about it from a dis- different lens versus coming at it from, you know, a very small place of lack and making up that, that small gap to, to get there. So that's, that's pretty neat. I love, love hearing that, man. Thanks so much for sharing. Um, let's move into a little bit more personal uh, to, to close off the, the later portion of this conversation, because you've gone through a lot. We've covered a ton of your kind of early life transition through university and natty team Olympics, but you've referenced it early in this conversation that you recently had an injury and that injury has really opened up. I'd like to say a new chapter in how you approach your training yourself, who you are as a human being. So could you, bring us into the story of that injury, kind of how it came to be and, and what happened. For sure. So it would have been, 
uh, going to world championships, 2018. Uh, we were going a couple, couple weeks early. We were going to Poland for little friendly matches. Um, and right when we got off the plane, I was like, Ooh, okay. Something feels a little bit off. Um, I think early on, I kind of brushed it off to, you know, I'm getting a little bit older. We just flew quite a bit. I'd also just came back from my pro season, which went quite long. Um, also in Poland. So it was kind of one of those things where I was like, okay, kind of shrugging it off. No big deal. Um, but I didn't really end up playing those games just cause we we're like, okay, let's be safe. Uh, safe, not sorry kind of thing going to world championships. Um, and then it was the kind of thing where day by day it actually started to get a little bit worse. Um, so then I'm trying to practice a little bit and then oh, it was my back. My back's kind of like locking up completely. Um, I'm not really able to do much. It's like, okay, it's, we're not really seeing much. We end up flying an osteo out. He's, I had a bunch of sessions with him. He's trying to get stuff into place. Uh, then I'll go and I'll practice a little bit. It's still trying to figure out what's going on. And it, it was, you know, never really getting to a point where I was able to, you know, perform or, you know, move without quite a bit of pain. Um, so then I was in Slovenia, we ended up getting, um, some images done. Uh, then it was kind of a funny, a little bit of chaotic, uh, moment there. We're just sending these videos to a bunch of different people or these images to a bunch of different people trying to figure out what's going on because we got world championships in a week, week and a half. What should the measurements look like? Um, and then, yeah, we're leading up to world championships. We sort of decide, okay, we'll try and not play as much as possible. Um, but then obviously when the big games come, I'll try and make sure everything's good to go and, and then I'll get out there. Um, definitely throughout there, there was a lot of denial. Um, there was a lot of what you could sort of describe as like an athlete mentality of, okay, yeah, no problem. I'll just put a, you know, tape it up and I'll be good to go. Mm -hmm. Um, for example, one, one story that I always think is, is pretty hilarious was we were playing, I think it was Brazil. We're playing Brazil. I, uh, you know, I wake up that morning. I, takes me like a while to get out of bed, just to roll out of bed really rough. Um, can barely walk. Like I'm, I, so first thing I do pop a couple painkillers, try and, you know, move throughout the day, get down to breakfast. I'm like just sitting to eat breakfast. I'm like really in a lot of pain. Just sitting upright is, is giving me a lot of pain. We go to video. I'm just laying down during the video session. Um, get up, uh, get ready to go for our, our morning training, uh, before the game, I, you know, put a numbing patch on my back to sort of try and figure out how it's going to go. Um, then I go, we were at morning training. I can't really set off of any, anybody passing. I can't serve. So it'd kind of be like, you know, serve ball gets passed and the coach will toss to me and then I'll set a guy. Okay. Um, and then it was one of those things where one of the tosses was, you know, I don't know, a foot in front of me. And I just took a step, put all my weight on my right foot and just like, fell like instantly, you know, just kind of dropped right there. Some just completely went, um, hmm. all of this, all of this kind of happening. And in my head, it was very much like I am going to play tonight against Brazil <laughs> in my head. I look back so much cause my, my girlfriend was the whole time being like, what? and I mean more now, more comical now, but, but it's just like, what do you mean? Like you can barely walk to breakfast you can barely sit and eat your food yet. You think you're going to go jump 200 times tonight. Like, you know, it, it was a, it's, I don't know. It was a hilarious reflection when I, when I look back on it, because I believed it, it was not like a, okay, we're going to give it a shot. It was like, Nope, we're playing Brazil. One in the world, the world championships, no problem. I'm going to go in there. We're going to beat them. It's going to be great. 
Um, you know, and then quickly in that morning practice, when I took a step and basically collapsed, I, you know, I had the realization that you're not gonna, you're not going to be playing tonight. Um, and not for a long time, you know? Um, yeah. So then, yeah. So then basically after that, it was eventually made it back to Canada. Didn't, didn't step on the court after that. Couldn't really walk for the rest of the tournament. Um, made it back to Canada, ended up getting some more imaging, uh, ended up seeing that it was quite a serious issue. Um, more structural stuff, have some, you know, bones that are, that were fractured and, and one a long time ago that was fractured didn't heal properly then a fresh one. Um, and then basically that started the journey of, whoa, I, for as long as I can remember, even talking about, you know, when I was a kid and my dad being a phys ed teacher, I now can no longer play sports. I can no longer move. I can no longer, um, you know, kind of whether it be express myself in that way or compete or, or, you know, do those kind of things. And then instantly, um, yeah, kind of this identity crisis came up because I didn't know how to define myself all of a sudden. It was, you know, like you talked about who is TJ, the athlete, who is TJ, the person at that point, I couldn't differentiate the two. And now it just to my core didn't feel right to define myself as a volleyball player because I couldn't walk, Mm -hmm. you know, for the first, maybe, I don't know, two or three months, it was, you know, I'd wake up and shuffle my way over to the couch and be laying on the couch all day and shuffle my way, my way back to the bed and, you know, be there for night. <laughs> and that was kind of my routine. Um, so it just didn't feel right. Like how, if, you know, somebody talks to me, I can't, I can't say that I'm a volleyball player. It just doesn't feel, um, right. And I, and I think there was this, a lot of momentum just in my career kind of really, you know, growing at that point, like I was now becoming a more experienced setter, uh, becoming more confident in my play and more creative and all those kind of things. Um, and then it kind of all got halted and yeah, that, that combination of, you know, disappointment, obviously for my, like not being able to go to Turkey, I'd signed a contract in Turkey, not being able to go there. Um, plus the fact of like bigger thoughts, like, Whoa, is this the end of my career? Um, what am I going to do if it is the end of my career? I remember questions coming up, like, like just in my head, like, you know, what if I'm not good at anything else? What if I'm never passionate about something else? Mm-hmm. Um, then the, I mean, on top of that, just the sort of constantly being in pain, constantly, you know, unable to move, even a crazy thing. Like, you know, sometimes as an athlete or as athletes or as mobile people, we take for granted the, just your actual physiology of what's going on there. Like, you know, you go and you get a good workout in your testosterone pump and you're feeling good. You sweat, um, all that sort of stuff. I, all of a sudden my entire biochemistry was completely different for several months and, and yeah, it was, it was, it was one of those experiences that I would never want to go through it again. Um, you know, it was not enjoyable in a lot of moments, but I'm also weirdly grateful for it. You know, it sort of forced me to pause and, and look at this identity type of thing or, or really look at, you know, bigger value structures or, um, you know, what would I do if, if volleyball was taken away? What, what do I really care about? Um, and I think it's, it's really easy, especially being, you know, kind of, as I mentioned, a little bit binary, like super passionate about some things and really diving into sports and volleyball. It's, it's easy to kind of put blinders up and only see that perspective, only see that, um, kind of storyline. So it was really cool. And actually something that's funny, like even now we talk about it, obviously I'm kind of coming to the end of it. It's still, there's a lot of unknowns, but 
kind of, yeah, I think that was 10, 11 months ago now. Um, but I'm just, I can like truly say that I'm really thankful that something kind of forced me into these, these patterns of thinking and or forced me, I guess, out of these patterns of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I'm weirdly for lack of a better term, like happier and, and better for it. So let's dive into that. And before, before we do it, I just want to touch upon, like, did you have an off season throughout that? Were you just, just pushing harder, playing more? And obviously we take these things for granted. We take our health for granted, but throughout that journey, did you ever really create a, a piece of time where you could recover mentally or physically? Or did you just continue going on the cycle of pro national team development, pro national team development? Right. I like not once really since when I started university, um, because then in my summers I would play a national team and actually even before then, you know, you have your club season, whatever. And then I'd go and play provincial team and stuff. Mm -hmm. Obviously the volume there is a little bit different with, with club and high school and whenever compared to uh, professional stuff, but still like mentally I was still engaged. Um, so really since I started, probably since about, you know, grade 10, um, I had not had one off season. And I mean, the toll that took on my body is very apparent now, the fact that I have a chronic injury, mm-hmm. but also that idea of, you know, what is my identity becoming this, this, these kind of blinders going up. I think in an off season, you're allowed to explore, you're allowed to try out different things. And I think because I was so dedicated to, you know, that sort of end goal of becoming the best player in the world. It was like, no, there's no time off. There's no, you know, you just go, go, go. I would, you know, come back from my pro season four days later, we'd leave for the first week in world league. You know, I'd be gone <laughs> for eight weeks and then it's like, Oh nice. Now we get a week off, uh, before we start training again. And it literally that week off would just be like me having no idea what to do, exhausted, try and recoup. And then we'd be back at it. Um, you know, then we got maybe like a Narsika event or we got Pan Am games or we got world championships or the world cup. Um, and then it was always the kind of thing where, Oh, we're like our last tournaments going like a little bit into September or whatever happens to be. That's a little bit late for clubs. So we, you know, get two days off of our last tournaments and we got to fly out to our club teams. Um, yeah. So there was never really any, any breaks in there. Um, and, and I mean, it seems obvious now, but it was very clear that my body is just like, no, no, like you need a break. Like it's, we're going to give you one whether you want one or not, or whatever it happens to be, you're, you're going down. Um, so yeah, I would say definitely no off season. Yeah. Well, to be very precise with the question, how have you grown as a result of this happening? What, what new places are you looking? You know, what are you trying to uncover about yourself? How, how are you growing as an individual off the ball? Right. I would actually say that's probably, um, just that last piece there, what's really going on is I'm now able to kind of look at how off court is able to affect my on court stuff. I think before it was, you know, I know when I'm in the gym, I'm going to work, I'm going to do things. I know off the court. Yes. I need like, you know, my nutrition to be good. I need my sleep to be good. Those are kind of the things you're taught being an athlete when you're younger. Okay. I get that. But I never really realized like the, you know, if you can develop a, a depth of that identity, how that can help you in, in big moments, um, how, you know, having other passions can 
create more creativity. Like I, I think that's a big piece now is I'm able to kind of come back and look at the game in a little bit of a different way because I've now looked at the outside world a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden I come back and there's just like a little flip in my perspective. And then, yeah, now because my body has become a bit of an issue, I've really had to dive into, okay, how do I optimize this? How do I, how do I make my body give me whatever it can? And how do I respect my body when it's unable to do what it can do? Mm-hmm. I think that's a huge piece um, as athletes, especially when you're younger and especially it, it kind of gets drilled into all of us is that you just need to keep pushing. Like pushing is what's going to get you to that end goal. It's like there's this flag off in the distance that you got to get to and there's muck and things in your way and you just got to push to get there. Um, and I think this experience has really showed me that sometimes pushing will break your back. Um, <laughs> and then, and then also that now I'm in a, now I'm in a situation that I'm physically unable to push. If I push, I will then injure myself again, which will then like repeat the cycle. So now I have to look at it all a little bit different. Um, which again, then really allows me to, you know, I'm, I'm forced to be a little bit more creative, uh, forced to think a little bit different too. Um, and I think because of that, because it's a fresher perspective, um, and it's like a little bit of a fresher outlook, I'm then able to approach the game. Um, yeah, in such a different way. And I, and I think it's been, it's been really cool. Like even just these, our, our past Olympic qualifier there and, and the little bits I played in world league and stuff like that, there's a, such a difference. Um, there's a, you know, I, I feel much more free on the court. Um, also just the obvious thing, like the amount of gratitude I now have to play, mm-hmm. you know, not long before that I was unable to walk and then I was unable to really, you know, play. And then I was unable, you know, and now I'm at the point where I can go in and I can do stuff. And the, I think the, the effect of that has been, has been pretty cool. And, and it's really easy yeah, to be grateful for that. Cause I think it's like any job, right? You, you start doing it all the time, no vacation, no off season. You're then just pushing kind of like I'd mentioned, you're kind of just like pushing into the darkness. You don't see what's around you and you're forced to see that. And it's like, wow, it's pretty cool that I get to do this every day. It's pretty cool that I get to, you know, create something every day and, and, you know, hang out with, my buddies and do these different things. It's, uh, see, I'm not sure if that exactly answered the question, but no, that, that's, it's all yeah. good. And well, I'll, I'll dive in a little bit more than like, what parts of yourself are you learning about? Are you, are you developing? Right. Yeah. I think one big piece is just how, uh, I guess attached, you know, I've, I mentioned identity, but also just to the ego. Um, I was, I think like, my prior self was very, I guess, excited about the idea of success and excited about, um, you know, how I'd be perceived around that. Uh, I even now like reflecting back, you know, I look at when, as I was mentioning to you before, like when I first started playing sports, um, for sure, it felt very good to be better than other people at sports. You know, you're at, you're on the playground, you're the kid that's the best at whatever sport you're playing. Other kids want to hang around you that feels good. Um, it seems so trivial and obvious when we're reflecting on like, you know, elementary school playgrounds, but that's sort of all I knew. And I kept growing up and that was still kind of the same thing. So a lot of this wanting success would also then define who I was. And so I'm, if I'm losing a game or if we're not going to the Olympics or if, 
you know, I'm having a rough pro season, then who I am isn't good enough or is affected mm-hmm. negatively. Um, so I guess, yeah, that's more of a exact way to define what that identity was. It's, it's very outcome based. Um, and I noticed that as well, actually also after the, after the Olympics was, you know, I think it was a big goal. It was an exciting thing, but your life really doesn't change who you are. doesn't change. I'm not now given the gift of ultimate fulfillment for the rest of my life because I went to the Olympics, you know, and I think when you go through that and then you come back and you're like, wow, nothing changed. Like I went to a really cool tournament. I had some really cool experiences, but who I am didn't change. Like who I'm now not happy all the time. I'm not on, I'm not bliss. I'm not Buddha now. Um, you start to then I think question a little bit, you know, maybe those value structures or, or what you're sort of getting into. And then, you know, that was sort of happening around that time. And then I get this injury. Um, and so I'd say, yeah, like for me, a lot, a lot of it was, you know, diving into my past where I feel maybe what big fears I have. Like, I think I kind of mentioned it earlier. One big fear was, you know, what if I'm not good at anything else? What if I'm you know not passionate about anything else? And then bigger questions like, you know, what if I'm never able to be good again? Or what if I'm really not enough? You know, that kind of big question of what if I'm not enough, which is obviously looming over us. And I just had the fortunate career of success. And I would always answer, Oh no, you're enough. You've made it to the Olympics or, Oh, you did well at world championships or, Oh, you got a good contract. Um, mm-hmm. and that sort of subconscious of that subconscious ego of yours is kind of creating a different narrative. Uh, and then all those, and then now I get this injury and there's different answers to all those questions. Um, so really to kind of face those demons a little bit, which as I guess, difficult and strange of a, of a journey that can be, uh, I think it's something that all of us kind of need to go through at some point, you know, part of you kind of dies a little bit. Um, and I think that that's been a really cool little bit of like a rebirth for me, um, coming out of this, this injury. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, <clears throat> we, we cannot escape the game of trying to be loved. That is the most universal game that there is. And, certainly as youth and as we progress and even up to the Olympics, like the the degree that we love ourselves is the ability for us to be able to perform freely in that moment. And certainly after those games, I experienced that on my end too. Like your life doesn't change. You don't change. You just happen to be a part of a pretty amazing experience. Um, so thank you so much for, for sharing that internal work, man. I, I'm sure there's some coaches that are going to be listening to this that, that were a part of your progression that are like, wow, TJ. All right. You've done some work, man. <laughs> so good. Well, let's, let's dive into the, the future here. You're in preparation for uh, a season overseas. I believe, is it Poland? No, Germany. You're going to be playing in Germany, Poland. right? Poland. Oh, Poland. Okay. So yeah. you're in Poland, you know, what are you looking forward to over there? And, and how are you looking forward to evolving your game? Well, I, I always love playing in the, in the plus league. I was there, uh, last time I, I was doing a full season, I was in Gdansk. Um, the atmosphere in Poland is, is insane. Uh, they just love the game. Uh, the people, the country, I, I, I don't know, something about it just really kind of clicked, um, for mm-hmm. me when I went there a few years ago, uh, really enjoyed it. People are like really hospitable. 
um, really humble, really, yeah, I really enjoyed my time there. So one thing is just going back there, um, just going back there, being able to play for, for the Polish fans and, and, uh, you know, being able to compete again. Uh, and then I think, yeah, things that I'm going to be able to take with me, it's, it's, you know, a lot of what we talked about, just that kind of composure, confidence piece. Um, and then I'll also kind of bring the, the new perspective that I, that I have. I think that, you know, and being able to bounce back from, or I guess kind of jump into the big picture perspective and, and really evaluate these different core structures in my life and, and then jump back into the passion of sport and, and all those kind of things. It'll, it'll allow me to, you know, not be so attached to outcome and allow me to, uh, you know, compete a little bit more freely, be a little bit more creative. Um, I think that's probably the thing I'm most excited about is, is coming back and seeing where that, yeah, that creativity can come. I, you know, I, I haven't really this past summer, uh, or I guess this summer now, um, didn't really have enough game time to really go all out in the creativity piece. You know, it was just like, you know, I play a few points here and there and influence whatever I can, but I was still unable to actually, you know, run a full game, um, do those kind of things. So I'm really excited to see how that can, that can kind of develop and, and what relationships I'll build there. Um, cause that's another thing too. I, I think I always kind of took for granted as athletes, you know, we're jumping around to these different teams and we're meeting all these different people, but you know, I, I, I now value, uh, like relationship and connection at, at such a different level because then all of a sudden, I think before when I was playing, there was a lot of almost like fan to player interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that, left me feeling a little bit shallow. Um, so I, I sort of stepped away from connection maybe a little bit or, or whatever that would happen to be. And then this injury kind of happening, um, then took me away from that. Right. Like I'm not around any fans. People now don't know me as a volleyball player. They just know me as the guy that walks weird. Um, <laughs> and I got to, and I got to kind of actually build some real, uh, meaningful connections and, and build a little bit of a community. So I'm excited to go there and, and kind of repeat that and, and see, you know, meet some new people and see how we can connect and, and see what we can do on court and see what we can do off court. And, and I'm awesome. Yeah. I'm excited for all that. That's so great, man. Well, I'm genuinely excited for you. And there's, there's a part of the story that we didn't touch upon that maybe we'll, we'll leave for another time, which was the, the qualification process for the 2020 Olympics mm-hmm. and, and what you guys are going through there. But, Let's, let's save that conversation for another time. Cause I just would love to close out with you, you know, looking back, what stands out as something that you'd like to share with the next generation? Cause you just have such a rich story. There's so many great takeaways. What's something that you've experienced that you know, to be true for yourself that you'd love to, to give back to the next gen. Yeah, I think, I think there's kind of two points I want to make on that. I think, um, kind of the, my bigger sort of perspective or, or like system or structure, uh, that I'm kind of kind of live by now that I, that I think is one that just taken a while to kind of refine. And it's really difficult. Obviously there's, there's these kind of structures we can build, but it takes discipline. It takes, you know, understanding, it takes experience. Um, <clears throat> but it was this sort of idea, uh, and it was, yeah, just off of these different books I was reading and all that kind of stuff and then comparing it to my life and, reflecting and then experimenting and stuff like that. But there's this idea and Jordan Peterson talks about a lot. It's that, you know, 
it, we all know that we need purpose, right? That's, it's very obvious. Like purpose gives humans a whole, a whole bunch of good reasons to live. <laughs> um, so you got to have this aim, right? Which might be your goal, which might be, um, you know, for me, it's 2020 Olympics to have a good season. Um, but it's also bigger things. It's like, you know, have a good relationship with my girlfriend. It's, you know, help people. It's, it's bigger ideas like that. So that's sort of the aim. Uh, and then you're constantly kind of on this trajectory, right. Of which is you living out this purpose, right. Which is me actually investing in relationship. It's investing on court. It's investing on that kind of stuff. So I think that is super crucial having those pieces, but always being able to detach from the outcome of that. You know, like there will be times where I'm not the best partner. There'll be times that I lose games. There'll be times that I, you know, I'm not present in certain moments. Um, and to not shame myself for that, to not, you know, so if you're a kid and you're trying to make a team and you don't make that team, then that's where you are. Detach yourself from that, maybe feeling of loss. Um, because it's okay. We're all, we're all going to go through something like that. The reality is, is that on that trajectory to your goal, to your aim, there will be so many moments when you fail or when you go off course, um, that I think for me to actually continue on that, that kind of journey was detachment is, was so crucial. Um, so that's kind of the first piece was sort of this idea of always having an aim and a goal. That trajectory is sort of the, it living out in your day to day and then being able to detach whenever mm -hmm. moments like you need to be able to detach from. Then the other piece would be, and this was something that, um, was a little bit more difficult for me. And I, I would say plays into a little bit of the ego and always needing to be right thing was your sort of self-critic, your kind of inner self-critic. I think growing up really having this passion and excitement to become a high level athlete, I obviously had to become a little bit ruthless with myself with what is good as what is, what is good and what is bad. And so I sort of developed this, this self-critic on court and it was allowing me success. It was, it was producing results, right? It, it then took me to different universities and it took me to the national team. Then it took me to different pro teams and stuff like that. And things were going really well. It, it was yielding a lot of good results. And I think because of that, my kind of inner psyche started using that to evaluate everything, hmm. right? So it used this sort of inner self-critic to evaluate you know, what people thought of me and used it to evaluate me and relationship and lifestyle and all those sort of things. And, and your inner self critic can be harsh. So a lot of times I was really harsh on myself and, and kind of like you talked about earlier, you know, we all have this desire and this thirst to be loved and to be accepted. Uh, and when your own inner voice is telling you the opposite of that, uh, it can kind of lead you down some dark roads. And then, you know, that causes you to disconnect even a little bit more. Yeah. So I would say another thing that, you know, just throughout my life, uh, it's been really remain conscious of when that inner self-critic is helping you and when it's hurting you. Uh, cause I think there's probably a lot of 16 year olds, 17 year olds, 18 year olds that it's helping you a lot right now. And I don't want it, that to go away, right? It, it has a lot of value. It's really great, but just keep tabs on, is that leaking into your off ball life? Is that, mm -hmm. you know, what is that looking like when you're judging others? You know, if you have a really aggressive inner self critic, are you being really critical of other people? Yeah. Um, and then how is that kind of playing out in your, 
in your life. I think that that's just something that took me a little while to, to actually get some perspective on. And, and I hope that, yeah, people listening are able to, you know, maybe, maybe think about that a little bit more. But that really ties in well with, I think the perspective that you're coming at this right now and Dr. Rick Martini is incredible with this. And it, it's coming from a place of gratitude, man, like really heavy events that challenge you all of a sudden allow you to see it from this new light where you're so thankful for it. And man, I, I just want to say I'm thankful for you sharing that because both of those are really <clears throat> tough to describe and takes a lot of believing in yourself to be able to share that at, the, at this level and for the people to listen to be able to experience your inner dialogue and both of those are incredible points so thanks so much man for sharing those appreciate that oh seriously yeah my pleasure i would also say that yeah gratitude is like just the, the silver bullet i that's something i started actually like you know practicing gratitude as as often as i can and you know actually setting time aside to reflect and, and things like that and it is a crazy weapon uh to anybody listening and if they're not not kind of using it and it's, it's a wild thing. Cause I was always fascinated by people whose lives, I mean, both of us, we seemingly have objectively from the outside, great lives. Right. Mm -hmm. But we all still have troubles like everybody else does and everybody listening and everybody out there. Um, but then you can also still see it from a different light. You can still be grateful for whatever was in your day. You can still be grateful for even the bad things. And I, and it was, it, it took me a while to sort of actually believe that when it came to the injury. Um, but just in practicing that all the time and yeah, it's crazy, powerful, crazy, powerful. Absolutely. So I got five questions to close it all off. And, and these are just consistent questions that I ask guests just cause they're really close to home <laughs> for me and, um, things that live within the off ball system. So I just like to pepper with you for, a few questions. You cool with closing off with five? Oh yeah, let's do it. Beautiful. So what's the highest value that you live through? And we may have, might've just touched upon it, but I'll, I'll give you space to speak to this. Right. I, okay. I'm going to say, and it's going to be probably more of an abstract answer than we're looking for, but I'm going to say love. Mm -hmm. And that's under that is going to be pretty much everything we talked about. Connection, vital gratitude, vital, I think, um, passion, vital energy, all that sort of stuff kind of toys around this concept of love. I think, you know, seeing, seeing different points of view, seeing big perspectives, I think amongst those gratitude is a huge one. It can, it can legitimately change your life day to day. Um, connection as well, right? Like, yeah. In connection to everything, connection to other people, connection to yourself, you know, your truer self connection to your work, to your competition, to your, yeah, all those things. So I know there's a few in there, but yeah, that's pretty much what I'm going at. Oh, I, you know what I think? I think there is a growing amount of space for the conversation of love in sport and it's, it's happening. I'm hearing it more. A lot of the conversations that I'm having with parents and coaches and athletes really trying to seed the word love in it a lot more and from a few different perspectives that I'll just share is one, you know, as a, as a coach or a parent, like to the degree that you love yourself is, is the degree that you can demonstrate to your child or to the athlete that you're coaching, you know, 
a level of playing and a level of self-confidence and the less you love yourself, the, the less you're able to give to that person. And, and then two would be from a love standpoint is if you don't love it deep into your soul, you know, it's going to be really hard to do it for the rest of your life. And rather than be on the grind, like the more you're loving it, the more you're able to be curious and creative, much like you said, and create these lasting connections. So um, bang on man, bang on with love. And I would say like, let's say you're an athlete and you obviously have moments that you really enjoy the sport. Like that, that's obviously those are going to be great. But then there's going to be a lot of moments when you don't or in, in life, there's going to be a lot of moments when you don't. So reflect on why you don't, why you can't, whether it be find self-love or whether it be, you know, find love for the game or love for the process, find out why not. There's going to be a lot of, that's going to help, or at least for me anyway, it's helped me then understand myself better. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I don't love, uh, what's an example. Maybe I don't love playing in this big game because it makes me nervous because if I fail, then I look bad in front of people. Okay. Let's like break that down a little bit more. Why are you concerned about what other people think? And then again, it comes back to that. Okay. Well, what if I'm not enough? Cause my success defines how much I am in their eyes, you know, like little things like that. So I really encourage, you know, if you're, we love the game, we love our community, we love these things, but then there's moments when we don't. So when you don't dissect that a little bit, see what's, what's going on. Oh man, that's so good. I'm even going to hop on top of that. Like the love yourself, believe in yourself and trust yourself. You know, if, if you can have that conversation, then let's just use that example that you just shared with that big game. Like, you know, you, you've won before you have even entered the court. If you fully love yourself and embrace yourself, you believe in yourself and, and you trust yourself, you give yourself permission to show up you know, you're going to be able to make the most of that opportunity. And, and essentially that's unconditional love lives there rather than conditional love based on the outcome of that situation. So mm-hmm. that's awesome, man. Let's, let's move to number two. You know, you don't rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. And so what, what might be a system or a non-negotiable that you have in place in your, in your life with regards to mind and, and body and potentially life? Uh, I think, I think it sort of relates to that, that other big piece I was talking about, but I think it's this sort of like pursue with detachment. I think that that's something that I always, um, kind of have at the back of my mind. I know that's a little bit like a more of a heady abstract one. Um, but how I can put that into a little bit more concrete is I always allow myself space to reflect. You know, it's really, it's a little bit easier being, you know, professional athlete because we have a lot of rest time is your body physically needs time to rest. So, you know, for me, I, I journal quite a bit. I, you know, read a lot because those are constantly, um, you know, kind of just giving me these different angles of a different perspective that I'm looking for. Um, and I think in turn that then allows me to gain insight in becoming the player I want to be. I mean, if you have an objective, especially if it's like, let's say it's a volleyball when you want to get a really good serve, it's not just going and serving a lot that gets you good. It's mm-hmm. looking at different techniques. It's seeing how your body moves. It's seeing, you know, what angles you have to play with. It's seeing different variations in those things. And that can be applied universally. Absolutely. Um, how would you define the game within the game for you? The game within the game. I would define the game within the game about how I am going to reach my potential. I think, you know, in going into competition, there's the obviously outcome of the score. 
Um, then, you know, the next tier is the obvious outcome of my tactics, you know, like what my offensive system is going to look like against the blockers. And then there's the, uh, the next kind of level is the outcome of executing those, you know, are we able to actually, are we getting kills when I make the right set? But then, you know, kind of the deepest game within the game is how can I actually make clear decisions? How can I actually execute clear decisions? And I think there's, you know, a big piece in that is maintaining presence, um, you know, being mindful, uh, communication amongst your teammates, things like that. So I would sort of say like the ultimate game within the game for me is how can I sort of soak out or soak up everything that I'm trying to piece together, uh, so that it allows me to reach my potential. I love it. And above all the athlete who knows why beats the athlete who knows how, what's your why? So I would say initially, um, or initially it's probably the first, you know, 10 years of my career, it was to be the best in the world. That was sort of unnegotiable. It was what I was doing it for. Um, I think in a deeper level, it was, you know, for status, for outcome success, for, you know, these kind of extrinsic things. Um, but now my why is become a little bit more aloof. It's, it's very much just to be creative. It's to, uh, be fulfilled, you know, to connect, to, um, to entertain even a simple thing of like going to a game and, and entertaining fans, I think now allows me to play with a, a different sense of freedom. Um, I think I'm at a stage in my career where I've, you know, I put in the number of, of reps and games and, and all those kind of things. So I, I'm allowed to do that. I don't know if that's, I wouldn't recommend everybody's why to be, you know, just to be creative and, and things like that. But it really, it does, it gives me a, a new sense of purpose. It allows me to, to find, even I was funny. I was talking to my girlfriend after what game was it? One of our games recently where I was, where I was playing a little bit and I was, you know, kind of just going off. I was like, wow, I was completely in flow. I was just like, wasn't mm. thinking there was like, I was connected to everybody on the court. Everything was happening yet. I was doing nothing, you know, like these kind of <laughs> abstract things. Uh, I don't do it to impress people. I definitely would say that I have done it for those reasons, uh, in the past, but in my current circumstance and my lack of control with a lot of things and my ability to now detach from, from those sorts of outcomes. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit, a little bit different now. Well, your ability to let go is fundamentally your ability <clears throat> to find control and really at the end of the day, the only thing you can control is yourself. And it seems that you've let go of a lot of things, my friend. And now you're truly in pursuit of mastery. And I, I always think of the example of there's someone training to be a master. And then there's a master who's always in training. And I think you're a master who's training. You've found that position where you're there. You're, you've arrived. You love yourself and you're playing that deep game, man. So it's, it's really been a pleasure to have this conversation and, I'm just so excited for what you have to offer Canada, the sport, youth. I mean, you're literally just in the, let's call it the second chapter of, of your journey and there's more to come. And by you letting go and just looking to be creative and let your self shine through whatever it is that you're trying to express yourself through creatively, um, you will be the best player in the world, my friend. I appreciate that. And I think it's something that, you know, younger athletes and, and maybe coaches and, and things like that 
is it's the letting go piece. Isn't it's not like now when I go in the gym, I don't try as hard or it's not like now I don't go in the gym and I'm less connected. If anything, I actually try harder and I'm more connected because I'm free to do so. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that it's an interesting relationship there because even myself as a young athlete was very much, I need to make sure I'm doing everything I can to get me towards that goal. When just even that thought may be blocking you from actually doing the things that you could be doing. It may be like constricting you from the possibility of reaching your potential. Um, yeah. So I just think that's just a point I want to make a little bit clearer is it's, you know, and I'm playing better than I was before. I'm half able bodied and I can, I can still play better than I, you know, was when I was fresh because, you know, my mind's there, my understanding of my body's there, my, you know, a lot of different things. So I just, just wanted to make sure I was clear. Well, I, I think that's a really important conversation and I find myself having to put these caveats before, let's say I speak about these intangible things that, you know, one is that we're still here to win. We're still here to compete. This is not about participation badges or ribbons. Like we're still here to be the best, but it, it's moving from being the best to being your best. And that shift in framework really opens up a lot of opportunity. And then two is that you still need to put in the work right? Yeah. This whole conversation of, well, I'm going to step off the grind. Well, that doesn't mean you're not working. It just means you're feeling your work. You're attached mm-hmm. to it. You, you're connected to it at a different level than you're just a slave to the work, slave to the, the quantity. And the only way for me to achieve this is to put in my 10,000 hours. And it's just, that's just the way it is versus what's my game. How can I reinvent this game? How can I create it in a way that I don't become everybody else, but understanding that you still need to put in the work, but you're just, you're owning your own process that much more, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think that's, that's it right there. I, cause I, I think it is, it is a fascinating conversation because instantly you're saying, Oh, let's reflect on. Yeah. Let's, as an example, putting in the 10,000 hours, a lot of people will say like, Oh, well then you're not, doing the work. it's like, no, I'm not saying that I'm not going to put in 10,000 hours, but I'm just going to put in the right 10,000. I'm going to put in 10,000 hours consciously. I want to be mm-hmm. aware of where this attention is going. And in order to do that, sometimes you have to take a step back and reflect and, and get that big picture. Um, yeah. cause I, and I think ultimately, like we talked about right at the beginning, you know, what is my strength? It piece of that was that it, I didn't get caught in the, you know, stay busy, stay working, stay grinding. It was, I want to take a different outlook on that so that maybe I can get an advantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, we could literally peel more layers <laughs> for, for days. So let's end it here. <clears throat> there will be another conversation public at, at another point in time. And I'm excited for that, but also excited to continue to be your friend and, and to share your journey with you, man. A lot of good times to come. Oh yeah. I am so all in and thank you for creating this platform. And that was an awesome talk and I'm grateful for you and and everything you're doing. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you and the time that you put into this. I always do my best to bring you as much value as possible through these conversations. And in return, I'd love it if you were to give this podcast five stars on iTunes or share it with any friend, parent, coach, teammate, someone that you love, someone that you think would gain value from listening to this conversation. The goal really is to empower the individual. Yes, this is about performance, but 
can we all become better human beings before we enter whatever that peak performance is? So thank you once again for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.